the truth about money. Part six, here we go. Developing the spiritual gift of generosity. Developing the spiritual gift of generosity. We have looked at so much about money in this past six weeks of preaching. First, we talked about the government and how the government uses money so many times in the past, and it will in the future, according to the book of Revelation, to control people. It will control your life if you're not careful. Get this right with God. Get money and your relationship to it right with God so that when this happens, you are protected. How do we do that? First, week two, we talked about the tithe comes first. God first in the money that we have been receiving from him. Secondly, how to have it. We talked about how to unpack it after the tithe, 10%, save 10%, live off the rest. Then week four, we talked about contentment. One of the greatest problems in our world is covetousness, looking at everybody else's life and measuring ourselves against them. That was week four. Week five, last week, what money cannot do, it cannot validate you, it cannot substantiate your life, it cannot get you to heaven. Only God can do that. Well, this week, we're looking at generosity. Generosity is catching on with the billionaire class of the world. I, I think there's like 300 and some odd number of billionaires in the world. 230 of them signed um, a rec recently signed a giving pledge they were gonna give away their money before they died. Now, there's a couple problems with that. Number one, nobody knows when they're gonna die. <laughs> so number two, because of inflation, these people own vast quantities of net worth, net worth, and so Ironically, as they have been doing this, giving away money at record numbers, and they have been, uh, none of them have actually lost anything. Inflation benefits the highest members of the economic spectrum. This is an economic fact. Yeah, just look it up and do your own research. But none nonetheless, they signed on to give away their money. This was started 2014. Mark Zuckerberg, founder of Facebook, said, I'm gonna give away 99% of what I make off of my Facebook shares from now on, 99%. And uh, the craze caught on. This past year, Jeff Bezos, founder of Amazon, committed to giving $124 billion away before he dies. His ex-wife, Mackenzie Scott, said she will give away half of her $26 billion. Warren Buffett has given away $41 billion. Bill and Melinda Gates are giving away their money. All this kind of stuff's happening. It's a big craze. Everybody's catching on to generosity. And so the research started to explode around this idea of giving away your money. And the research proves something that I want you to hear me say, not from a worldly perspective, from a godly perspective. And in fact, it's the first thing I want you to write down today. Uh, the research proves that generosity does the body good. Write that down. Generosity does the body good. And the reason why is because <coughs> all the research shows that when you give yourself, your time, your money, your treasure to other people as, you know, caring for other people, your biological response is joy. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this, but when you give yourself on behalf of others, you get back joy, a feeling of euphoria. Well, the science tells us that three hormones are released in the brain when you give, three hormones. And they are called the happy hormones. The happy hormones, hormone number one is serotonin is released in the brain uh, because of giving. And serotonin is the, is, the, is the hormone that actually regulates your mood, keeps you level. So one of the best ways to keep yourself emotionally level is giving incredibly, giving away your stuff keeps you emotionally level. And I was just thinking about, this is a serious problem with our world right now, right? People are talking constantly about mental illness, exceeding highs, exceeding lows. They call that a mental illness, and so they immediately think, pop a pill. See the therapist, see the doctor, see the counselor. But what if they practiced the art of giving? What if they did what God has actually programmed our biology to do, which is to give away what God gives us because God is a giver and they balanced out their emotional life simply on that basis alone. I think about how much we could actually bankrupt this enormous monster that is the pharmaceutical industrial complex in this country where there seems to be a pill for every itch and scratch and instead of turning to pills and medication we turn to the practices of God to bring balance to our emotions I mean I just thought maybe maybe for some of you right now the message is over you know exactly what you need to do 
with your life. Start giving, start balancing out your life with generosity. Number two hormone is dopamine. That's the happy hormone. Makes your brain suddenly feel euphoria and, and goodness. And then the third hormone that's released is oxytocin. That's the hormone in your brain that connects you socially to other people. Another huge problem in our society, depression. A third problem, isolation. And isn't it amazing how the three big emotional, mental problems of our world right now could be solved if we get a hold of generosity. Isolation, up and down living, mental illness, and disconnection from others. What will heal us? I think it's because God, no, I don't think, I know, God is a generous God. Every good and perfect gift comes from yeah, God, our Father, that's James chapter one. Everything in our lives is a gift from God. You are made in God's image. Now that doesn't just mean that you're valuable. That means that you're made to live like God. That's how you're made. So here's the thing that some of you, you've never put this together. The more you live like God, the more human you become. It's actually kind of an oxymoron in theory, but it's a very true biblical principle. Humans, not monkeys, not alligators or turtles, humans are made in the image of God. That means we're meant to reflect who he is. And if he's generous, we should be generous. So the more you act like God, the more of a human you actually become. And it's countercultural to everything we're told on every level. If there's a passage in the Bible that deals particularly well with generosity, it is our passage today. And at the top of your notes, you'll see it. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians 2 Corinthians. That means it's the second letter that Paul the Apostle sends to a church in Corinth in the ancient world. And Corinth is a very interesting church. It's a very interesting city, a very Americanized kind of city. In ancient Corinth, people would do two things. They would seek pleasure, and then they would seek meaning. And I think those two searches go together very commonly in the human experience. We seek pleasure. We want to have fun. We want to experience some euphoria in living. We want to, I don't know, jump off the cliff um, experience some kind of great adventure in life. And here's what the enemy does. He plays on that by offering us all of these other destructive practices, whether that be sexual fornication or greed or lust or envy or prideful boasting. He offers us all these pursuits that, should, that, 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 that offer pleasure but don't provide it. And so we go to the club on Friday, and we wake up Saturday with a headache, and everybody's like, what happened to you last night? I was out having fun. Now I'm miserable. Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and so again, pop the pills, take care of it, put some aspirin in, whatever it is. And so then we wake up Sunday, like, well, maybe, maybe all that fun is actually not what it's cracked up to be. Let me find some meaning. And so we either go to church or go to school on Monday or whatever, try to find what's life really about? Because I tried the pleasure program and it did not offer me what it, it did not give me what it offer, uh, promised me. And so maybe I need meaning or fulfillment or something bigger than my life. And, and so that was kind of like the American um, experience, right? Now, we're, either true, we're either chasing pleasure or chasing meaning. That's what Corinth was. They were chasing pleasure. They would go to the shrine prostitute temple. Where they would literally go to a place of worship in their culture to the God of Aphrodite, the Greek God of love. And they would literally sleep with shrine prostitutes. And then they would, you know, inevitably wake up with, you know, all the problems that we wake up with when we do the things that we shouldn't do. And then they would probably go to the, te the, the temples and they would uh, philosophize about what life was really about. America is very similar to Corinth. And Paul had to write not one, not two, not three, not three but four letters to this church. Do you know why he had to write four letters to this church? Because it was one seriously messed up church. Hot tip for the Bible. If you got two letters, you were a messed up church. And Corinthians got two. Not only did they get two, but they got four uh, two letters we don't have anymore. The first one he sent and the third one we sent. We have the second one, that's 1 Corinthians, and we have the fourth one, that's, fourth, that's 2 Corinthians. So he is writing to this church for the second, fourth time, but second time in our Bible, to teach them about generosity. And what he's doing is he's saying, listen, guys, 
You need to live beyond yourself. You need, if, if you want full life in God, if you wanna, he's teaching them what I'm teaching you. If you wanna live a full life in Jesus, it is not lived by what you get, it is lived by what you give. And your life is not defined by what you get. If you're a Christian, your life is defined by what you give. So with that in mind, let's stand together. Let's read the word together. 2 Corinthians chapter eight, here's what it says. Paul the apostle writing, he says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now, now interesting thing he does there is he, he's talking to one church about what three other churches in a place called Macedonia did regarding giving. He says this, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave, somebody say gave. They gave according to their means, and as I can testify, beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this they did, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus, as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace, but as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, and all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. And another translation says, see that you excel, see that you excel or improve in this grace of giving. See that you excel in this grace of giving. Then he says in verse eight, I say this not as a command, but that you might prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for this moment to hear your voice. I ask God that our moment will be saturated with your wisdom your guidance, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. May the words out of my mouth be guided by you. Speak to us, lead us, shape us, make us more like Jesus. And help us to see him. Him and him only. In his mighty name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you. Have a seat. Generosity does the body good. I was, um, uh, I'm very excited today to, to share with you some of the highlights of what generosity has done at Waters Church. It's kind of interesting to learn that there's a lot of promises in the Bible that are predicated on our actions. What that means is that God offers us promises, but we've gotta do something first. So one of them is like this, it goes like this. Jesus said, ask and you shall, yeah, okay, so the promise of receiving is based on us what? Asking, seek and you shall, but knock, the door shall be raised. Uh, we, we talked about in Malachi chapter three, verse 10, bring the full tithe to the storehouse, predicate, and there will be a blessing given to you that you cannot contain. The promise of the blessing that you cannot contain is predicated on your acting, action of tithing, putting God first financially in your life. These promises are all throughout the Bible. Things that God says, I will do when you do this to God's people. Now, ironically, one of the things, the most common thing in all the Bible that God promises to respond to and bless us for is giving. More promises from God are tied to our giving than any other activity in our life. Isn't that amazing? What? Because God is a giver. He made us in his image. And when we give, we are most like God. Waters Church, I'm so excited to say that you are a giving church. You are. You might not know this. And maybe you're new. And maybe you haven't yet gotten to the tithing thing. Or maybe you're still debating about that. I understand because it takes time. You know, Martin Luther famously said there's three conversions of the Christian. The first is to the brain where you realize that Jesus is Lord. Then to the heart where you actually follow him and surrender your life. And then the third conversion is the conversion of the wallet. Where you finally say, okay, God, here's my stuff. That's the conversion that you eventually get to. But, but, but for those of you who have been here for a while, 
We are who we are as a church because of your generosity. We really are. Three years ago, we started a plan. No one could have known what was gonna happen over the last three years. And I went up to a mountain and I said, we're gonna plant three churches, Fall River, Massachusetts, um, Florida, and Guatemala. And this past October, we opened up our Fall River, we call it South Coast, it's actually in Tiverton, Rhode Island, a mile away from the Fall River border. And we opened up the third of those three locations. And in three years, we doubled the number of locations, Water Church. We're now one church, six locations, three states, two countries. Jesus is on the move at Waters Church. It's amazing. But all that happened because of you, because of your giving. You, you paid for it. You made it happen. You're sitting in a seat right now, and some of you got to get this because you don't get it. You think, oh, this is what happens. Here's what a lot of people think about the church. What happens is the church needs money, and so what happens is God assigns an angel to pull up in an 18-wheeler outside the church, and he pulls up, pastor knocks up, come on out, I want to show you what, I, what heaven sent. Look at all this money. It's in the back. Here it comes. No, that doesn't happen. Now, I wouldn't mind if it did. But it doesn't happen like that. A church is funded by the people who have faith in Christ. Your giving empowered us to do what we've done over the last three years. So I asked our creative team to put together a video. And man, I'll tell you, they nailed it. He nailed it. Oh, this is a, an amazing video to recap the last three years, the culmination of years of giving, serving, praying, believing God for a mountaintop experience in our church, and we've gotten to there, and I believe that we just gotta kinda relive the last three years, and especially this past 12-month period. I wanna say 2022 is the greatest, most impactful year of Waters Church history, and to kinda relive it all, I wanna show you this. Watch. It was three years ago, this past August, where Myself and our video ministry team drove up to the top of Mount Washington, stood on that mountain, and I declared that Waters Church was going to plant three locations, didn't have any money, didn't have enough team members, didn't have anybody assigned to who was going to pastor each church, had no clue whatsoever how it was going to get done. Hey, Waters Church, here we are on the top of Mount Washington in New Hampshire. I wanted to come up here to get perspective, to realize how big our God is, and to think about what God could do big time through Waters Church. Like going to Florida, planting a church, going to Fall River, planting a church. It's time to go onward and upward. It's time to climb the mountain with Christ and to believe God for greater things than we've ever seen. Big things are coming to Waters Church. Hello Church, on behalf of South Coast Location, we just want to say thank you. We just want to say praise God for your faithful giving and generosity. Uh, it is truly because of you. You helped us buy the building, renovated and opened the doors. And just since the past couple months, we've seen 31 salvations. We've seen people now sign up to get baptized. I mean, people are hungry for the gospel and they're being changed all for the glory of Jesus. So thank you. I really truly believe that you have played a major role in this. You are reaching people beyond the walls or whatever building you're sitting at. So thank you so much. God bless you. Take care. Apollo Beach has seen a 50% growth in attendance over the last seven months and is in the process of raising up new leaders, elders, and small groups in the new year to come.
through you. In Peru, our team was able to share the gospel with thousands of people. We also gave out 840 Bibles in their native language, trained 43 new Bible teachers, and entered over 421 new children into the discipleship program. Across the world, we partnered with American Bible Society to distribute over 3,600 new Bibles to the areas that need it most. This year, we broadcast our content to 31 states in the U.S., but the message didn't stop there. Through the power of technology, we were able to broadcast the word into 35 different countries abroad. People heard the message of Christ for 1.7 million minutes on YouTube alone this year and was shown to over 2 million people across the globe. In addition, our other social channels received 1.2 million views, creating an unprecedented amount of opportunity to present the gospel to the lost and hopeless community. Back home, you helped us prepare over 500 dinners to families in need this Thanksgiving. like the Samaritan woman did at the well. And you know what? That's what we did. We had the largest crowd we've had here uh, that wasn't a holiday weekend. And guess what? There were salvations like there were every weekend. And three of those salvations, I know for a fact, were friends that were invited to church for the very first time. God's on the move, and I can't wait to see what else he does here. Through the course of the year, Waters Kids reached over 500 children each weekend with the gospel of Jesus Christ. class helped dozens of unbelievers get their questions answered as they navigate their journey, hopefully bringing them to this next step in their walk. My life was completely falling apart. I was addicted to drugs and alcohol. I had nice things, um, but there was always an emptiness inside. I was living the homosexual lifestyle. I grew up in like an abusive like household. And I remember that first message walking out of out of here and actually saying it out loud. That was a, that was a really good message. That for me was the moment where all that cynicism and skepticism and all that kind of armor that I had built around myself was starting to crack. And it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.
Oh, it's good to be a part of a church like that, isn't it? And we are. We are going to go to South Carolina. Travelers Rest South Carolina. Josh Viding and his wife are already down there building a house and getting to know the community. And if you're interested in getting out of cold and a little bit warmer, but not as warm as Florida, maybe you should go too. But we're going to start a church down there. Amen? Amen. The best is yet to come. I, I want to talk to you about this topic of generosity because I want you to connect the dots. You're sitting in a chair that someone said was worth purchasing so that you could be here today. And now it's your turn to pay it forward for the people who are gonna be here tomorrow. Where will God, what will God do with your generosity? Let's talk about this, four points about growing in generosity, then we're done, write this down. Generosity is not based on your getting, it's based on grace. It's not based on what you got. And, and Paul talks about this. In 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he's telling this church in Corinth, look, um, you got to hear about these other churches in an area called Macedonia. He said, they're so generous, they were so amazingly, overwhelmingly generous. I have to report to you about what they did so that it will inspire you to be part of the mission of Jesus in generous giving. And so here's what he says look at verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. Somebody say, grace of God. See, see grace, the grace of God is the agent by which we do things that we cannot normally do in the human realm. The grace of God, some of you got this one-sided view of it, where the grace of God is just something that helps you get forgiven of sins. The grace of God takes care of the bad things you've done, but that's just half of the two-sided coin of grace. Grace not only is the power by which God can wipe away your your, your, your sins and your mistakes. But the grace of God is also the power by which he can perform good works through you. It's a two-sided coin. And he talks about this. He says, the grace of God was at work in the churches in Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, he says, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of what? How does a church, just think about, how does a church experience a severe test of affliction, extreme poverty, and joy, and then generosity? See, in the natural, those things don't go together. In the natural, severe test of affliction and extreme poverty are the recipe for misery. In the natural, not having enough is a recipe for terrible times but not in the supernatural. See, here's what you gotta get, Waters Church. If you're a Christian, if you believe Christ is Lord, if you believe that a Jewish carpenter died and rose again, and now is at the right hand side of God the Father, and has given you the power of the third person of the, whole, of the, of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, to live inside of you, you are no longer just a natural person. You are a supernatural person. And supernatural persons don't do Normal things, they do super normal things, beyond the normal things. And that's what the grace of God is empowering people to do, giving beyond what they should normally give. By the way, the statistics bear out that what I'm telling you is true. I, every year there's a, there's a report on giving in America. The people who give the most are usually, proportionally, the ones who have the least. The highest level of giving in this country, regardless of where it's going, the highest level of giving is in the people who make $40,000 a year or less. They give, on average, 12% of their income. Skip all the way up to the highest levels of income, the $140,000, $160,000 a year people, they give 2%. Now, amount-wise, they give more, but proportionately, they give less. God has given a supernatural grace to people with less to give more. And that's exactly what Paul's talking about here in 2 Corinthians 8. He's like, most of the giving came from this, these churches. They're getting persecuted, they're getting hated, and, and they're also still full of joy. Like, think about that. When people hate you, how do you have joy when people hate you? The only way you have joy when people hate you is when you truly know that God loves you no matter what people say about you. And the only way that you give when you're poor is to know that God is always able to empower you to do beyond what is normal and natural and human. We are not just natural people, we are supernatural people and therefore supernatural givers. Generosity is not based on what you're getting, it's based on God's grace activated in your life. Number two, generosity is an act of ministry. 
When you give, you serve. That's what ministry is. Ministry is serving. What is ministry and serving all about? Here's what it's about. It's meeting people's needs. So this is good. Some of you gotta get this in your spirit. Second Corinthians 8, 3, he says, they gave not according to their means, they gave beyond their means, and they begged. Look at verse four, begged. They, they were like, please, Paul, let us be part of this gift. And, and by the way, the reason why Paul's raising money is because the church in Jerusalem, where the church started, this movement started. I don't know if you know this. Here we are in Massachusetts right now, 2022. But 2,000 years ago, it started in a city called Jerusalem. Peter preaches, day of Pentecost, 3,000 people get saved. That's where the church started. Well, that church in Jerusalem was going through a severe test. They were getting uh, hated on and persecuted, but they were also experiencing a, a regional famine. So, so there wasn't anything, the, the economy was depressed and the church was persecuted. It was especially hard for Christians because they were kind of like an outcast group. And so Paul goes around the, the, uh, the Gentile church and says, let's raise some money and help out our sister church, actually our founding church in Jerusalem. And so he says, look, the churches in Macedonia begged for the opportunity to bring the relief to the saints. Underline relief in your notes there because relief could also be translated, the word is diakonoa, which is the word we get service from or ministry from. Diakonos means servant. It's also the word in Greek that we get the church office deacon from. Anybody heard the word deacon? Well, deacon is just the Greek word diakonos for serving. Some of you come from churches where the deacons were part of a board and they told everybody else what to do. That's not, a, that's not a biblical view of deaconing. That is a very worldly view of deaconing. Deacons are servants. They're ministers. They're people who serve and meet the needs of the people. And so this is what Paul says. They beg for us the opportunity to serve the church in Jerusalem with a special gift. And I think about this. When you give... You are a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're serving his gospel when you give your money. And then he says this, they did this not as we expected, verse five, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. That means that that they gave first the tithe and then they gave offering. Now, I wanna make sure you're clear of one very important part about 2 Corinthians 8. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is not talking about tithing. It's talking about offerings. There are two kinds of giving in the church. Tithing, God first, 10% to God's house so that there might be food. What's the food? The word of God in the community. Every, every community should have a gospel preaching church. I think about America. Some of you bemoan the state of America. Some of you look at America and say, what's wrong with this country? I'll tell you what's wrong. The church has failed to be the church. It's not Washington's fault, it's not the Democrats' fault, it's not the Republicans' fault, it's the church. We are the salt of the earth. And sadly, a lot of churches, mainly the ones on Main Street USA, have abandoned the gospel. They stopped preaching about sin, they stopped preaching about righteousness and holiness, they stopped preaching about Jesus, they started preaching about being nice and being a good neighbor and not the gospel. Being nice doesn't change anybody's life. The gospel of Jesus changes people's lives. Somebody said, how does this church grow in Massachusetts? Massachusetts, everywhere I go, oh, Massachusetts, very cold area, very hard to build a church. Not hard if you preach the gospel. Not hard if you tell people they're sinners, they're bound for hell, but there's a great Savior who came and went through hell so that they go to heaven. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It changes the heart. Sadly, not every community has a gospel preaching church, and that's the problem with America. What our mission is at this church is to plant the gospel preaching church as many places as we can so we can see our country saved and preserved. May God have mercy on our country as we plant gospel preaching churches. Amen? Amen. So they gave first to the Lord, that is tithes, that is the vertical giving so that their church was blessed and there was food for people's hearts in that community. But then they decided to give to Paul's offerings for the Jerusalem church. Understand that. Because in 2 Corinthians 9, there's a phrase that people like to apply to tithing and it doesn't apply to tithing when he says each one should give what he has decided in his heart. That's not talking about tithing. You don't decide what tithe is, God decides what tithe is. And then it says, God loves a cheerful giver. So people say, well, I don't wanna give the tithe because I won't give it cheerfully. It's not about tithing. That text has had nothing to do with tithe. It has everything to do with offering. And it doesn't even matter. If you give the tithe grudgingly, God will take it. (laughs) 
He's not, he not worried about how you feel because here's what he wants you to do. He wants you to act on faith, not feelings. And that's where we hit the tie, the hit road. Oh, I don't want to know. Uh, sometimes the first people tie, first time you tie, you're like, ah, oh, 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 ah, 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 You know, oh, Then God's like, all right, test passed. Now watch me bless your life. I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen in my life and many other people's lives. But nonetheless, he is talking here about giving horizontally. The church takes care of the church. We've done this, by the way. Again, I always tell you how we give to other churches beyond our means. That $310,000 amount that we gave outside of this church, that did not have anything to do with our other locations. That was to other churches, other ministries, other community groups that preach the gospel. And by the way, we always do a test. Some of you gotta test this too. Never put your giving where they're not preaching Jesus. Never do it. We don't do it. We have a test. Are they talking about Jesus? Because we don't want to send anybody to hell on a full stomach. This group over here is really getting it. I don't know if this group over here, you understand what I'm talking about here? Like We could feed people, but if we don't tell them about Jesus, they just go to hell on a full stomach. Did you understand? Did you? This is actually more, it's funnier than the way you're responding. But anyway, um, so we do a test. Every place we put our money, are they preaching Jesus? Right? So one of the things we do is we fund church plants in other towns that are not Waters Church churches. Zenzo Matoga, some of you know him. He's up in Medford, Massachusetts. He planted a gospel preaching church in 2016. We said, Zenzo, you're starting. We knew what it was like to start a church. It's hard, it's tough, financially difficult. So we said, we're gonna pay your rent for one whole year as you start the church. Today, that church is over 1,000 people. They've seen, seen 2,000 people come to faith through that church. By the way, a couple of months ago, we had a guy come. He wants to plant a church in uh, Providence, Rhode Island. And they planted a church this past October. And so far, so good. And we called him into the office. And he didn't ask for it. We just said, we believe gospel preaching churches need to be planted in this community. And so we're going to pay your rent for one whole year as you start your church. That happens because you guys give. Got it? It's, it angels don't pull up in the semi-truck. You give, and we say, here's God's money. Let's put it there, let's put it there, let's put it there, where people will hear about Jesus. So you gotta get a hold of this, because it'll change your, it's an act of ministry. By the way, ministry is not what happens on the stage in church. It's what happens during the week as well. When you walk out of our building, you'll see, be the church. What does that mean? It means you are the church. Go and be it. The church, this is a building. This is not a church. This is a building. It doesn't even look like a church. There's no steeple. The, the, the roof is flat. We're breaking all the rules of architecture when it comes to the church. You're the church. All we need is a gathering place. We get fired up in Jesus. We hear the word of God. Word of God changes our hearts, changes how we handle money, and, God, and people other, other than us are blessed. Amen. See, I believe that if the gospel is good news for us, it should be good news for our neighbor. If the gospel is good news for me, it should make me more generous to my neighbor, and that's where ministry happens. So this is good news for somebody. You don't think you're used by God. You can't be used by God because you can't preach, you can't sing, you can't speak in front of people. You get scared to even open your mouth in front of three people, never mind 100 people. Good news, you don't need to be on stage to be a minister. You're a minister in your workplace. When you hear, and this is what you gotta do, you gotta put your radar up, you gotta have your ears open. And when you hear in your workplace, somebody's going through a hard time, they lost a baby, they had a miscarriage, something's going on, their husband lost their job, you, you minister by going to the grocery store and getting that person a gift card and bring it into the next, to the office the next day. Say, God, put you on my heart. Here, just to help you out. I know you're going through a hard time. That is ministry through generosity. I mean, you don't have to go to, you don't have to, go to your workplace and preach all day. Well, you all go to hell, and I'm here to tell you. I'm here to tell you. I go, by the way, I go to Waters Church. Please don't say Waters Church if you're doing that. I don't know, say First Baptist. I'm sure they'll pick up something else. You, you go to church, here's how you preach at, at work. You preach at work by working hard, loving your neighbor practically and financially and, and, and in ways that meet their needs and you're showing up early and you're staying late and you're doing above and beyond. The boss is impressed by your work ethic. And then when people ask and you gotta wait for them to ask, that's when you say, well, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. That's who made me who I am. That is how you minister through generosity.
By the way, generous people have better lives. Generous people have better lives. Proverbs 19, verse six. Look at this passage, I love this. Many seek the favor of a generous man and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. Some of you have no friends. It's because you're stingy. <laughs> Start giving people stuff and watch the friends come out of the woodwork, I'm telling you. I just wanna ask you a question. Who do you wanna be around? Who do you wanna be around? Stingy or generous people? I mean, think about it, who? You have, a, you have a choice between two jobs, same pay, same job, same distance from your home, but then you hear that one boss is generous and one boss is stingy. Which job are you taking? Generous boss. You have a choice between two friends. One friend is a giver. The other one goes to the bathroom when the check comes. Anybody know that? <laughs> check when got in the bathroom, where do you go? Oh, I guess I'm paying today. Which friend are you taking? Generous friend, right? Ladies, you have a choice between two men. One buys you a big honking rock. The other one asks for your credit card to put a down payment on it for you. True story by somebody at Waters Church. I couldn't believe it. I heard it. I was like, who does that? Which one are you choosing, ladies? Big rock guy. Right? Then bring big rock guy to church so that he can learn to tithe. Amen. But the point is, generous people live better lives. They have more friends. Proverbs 19, 17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. Oh, I love this. Whoever is generous to the poor, God takes out a loan from you. I love that. And by the way, I heard a preacher say like this, and he pays exorbitant interest rates. He pays 35% interest. God has got his eyes on you saying, do you care about poor people? Do you care about the people who have nothing? Here's a real practical way that you're gonna be a part of blessing poor people. Again, again, filtering through that question of do they preach the gospel? Every other year we do a, a weekend called Compassion Weekend where we introduce you to the Ministry of Compassion International. They are feeding and clothing and discipling the poor in countries around the world. I'm a big fan of this organization. I've gone to their community centers. I've gone to their community centers in Africa and Central uh, America, a beautiful organization. What do they do? They go into the community, they plant the church, number one, preach the gospel, number two, they plant the school to teach kids life skills and kids that were just you know, living on a handful of rice a day, they get the gospel, they get life skills, they get trained. Cheryl and I have been to these cities. They become little cities, little city centers about the size of this room. It's beautiful. And they have bakeries and they have butcheries and they have uh, uh, sewing places and everybody with a little skill and they're helping each other. A little community is started and poverty is solved not by giving money to governments. preaching the gospel and starting churches and empowering young kids to have a life skill so that they can feed their own families. Are you hearing me? We gotta get out of this idea that the government can solve problems. Sometimes the government's giving creates more problems. Gotta empower people. Nothing is better for you than making your own money and providing for your own family. Gives you a sense of purpose and value. That's what compassion does. I've seen it, I've been there, boots on the ground, I've seen a beautiful thing. And you don't have to wait for Compassion Weekend to be a part of it. You can go to Compassion.com right now and sponsor a child, it's about $38 a month. That is lending to the Lord, lending to the Lord. We sponsor Providence Rescue Mission through your giving, lending to the Lord. People who are out on the streets, they get it into the room, they preach the gospel and they feed them. No one's going to hell on a full stomach with the money that Waters Church gives. Okay, Proverbs eleven twenty five. love this one. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be what? Water. Another, another translation says, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. The point is, is this. When you give, it comes back to you. Jesus said in Luke chapter six, verse 38, he says, give and it will be given to you. That's the giver's high. We were talking about it earlier. The serotonin and uh, other hormones that are released in the brain that bring joy to you. When you give, it comes back to you. More than money, friendships, meaningful relationships, a full life, and most importantly, joy inside. Number three in your notes, growing in generosity. Generosity is a spiritual gift that can grow in us. 
Some of you are like, oh, this message hit me right between the eyes because I know this is an issue for me. I don't give as I should. Okay, good news. Don't beat yourself up. Just ask God to help you grow. Don't beat yourself up here. I'm, in, I'm preaching this word to encourage you to develop this spiritual gift of generosity. And I know it can grow in you because Paul believed it could grow in the Corinthians. Look what he says in verse seven of 2 Corinthians eight. Look what he says here. He says, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in earnestness, in our love for you, see that you what? Excel in this act of grace, he means giving also. So the Corinthian church, if you read 1 Corinthians, you will learn that they were a very spiritually gifted church. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about how they were speaking in tongues and prophesying and you know, casting out demons and healing people and miracles and faith and all these things. All these spiritual gifts were operational in the church. Awesome church. In fact, there were so many spiritual gifts that they were kind of chaotic. And in 1 Corinthians, he's like, guys, you gotta calm it down. You gotta put it in order. We've got to have decent, orderly meetings for people to hear about Jesus, right? Well, he says, look, you guys are very gifted at all these other gift, uh, spiritual gifts, but here's the, here's the thing. I want you to be just as committed to growing in giving as you are, as you are in all these other spiritual gifts. Some of you are like, God, I want more faith. Great, he wants more faith for you too, but he also wants you to be a greater giver. Well, God, I want the gift of prophecy. Great, he wants to give that to you too, but he also wants you to be a greater giver. God, I want miracles in my life. Great, God is all about miracles, 100%, absolutely. But he wants you to grow in giving as well. See that you grow. As you've grown in all these other gifts, Paul says, see that you grow in giving. Verse eight of 2 Corinthians eight in the NIV, I love this. He says, I'm not commanding you. I wanna test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. He's like, I love this, because he's like, look, these churches over in Macedonia, they gave out of their affliction. They gave out of their poverty. They gave beyond their ability. And they also begged us for the opportunity to give. He's like, now I'm testing you against them. <laughs> this is kind of like strange that Paul would do this, but he's like, that church over there is really generous. Now, what about you? And I thought about it. this is the only place in the Bible. You know, Bible, the Bible's not very big on us comparing ourselves to other people. You know that, right? You're you. You live you. You live the God God wants you to live, right? Don't compare yourself to other people. But there's one area where he doesn't mind you comparing yourself to other people. When other people are more generous than you, it's an opportunity. It's called you to say, hey, check your heart here. Get more generous. Grow, learn from them. Compare, yeah, absolutely, compare yourself. Oh, that person's so generous. I wanna be like them. Look at all the people that they love and they show God's love to. I wanna be a better person like them. And God gives you an allowance here. Compare yourselves to people who are givers and God will shape you into a giver too. That's what he's saying here in verse eight. It's kind of a... Strange little verse, but it's there. The last point in your notes. Growing in generosity. Generosity is a result of receiving the gospel. At the end of the day, you can't truly claim to know Christ if you're not a generous person. You really can't. Because to know Christ is to understand what Christ did for you. And everything that you do as a Christian is the result what Jesus has already done for you. Look what Paul says in verse nine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was what? He, he was what? Rich. Yet for who? Your sake. He became poor. So that you by his poverty might become rich. Now listen to this. When was Jesus rich? And when did he become poor? He's talking about the incarnation. He's talking about this season that we're in right now, Christmas, and we sing songs about it. Away in a manger. Do you know what a manger is? All my life, for a lot of time, a lot of my life anyway, I thought the manger was the barn structure. Some of you probably still think that, the barn structure. By the way, the barn structure is a very Americanized view of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the nativity. Uh, actually, historians suggest that it's probably a cave built into the side of a mountain in Bethlehem. So they came to a cave, somebody's house. The inn was the next door like room where you put the animals. And they went into there. And the, the manger was not the room. The manger was not the, the that's the stable. That's Americanized. Here, you know what a manger was? It was a little feeding trough for animals. And it was made of stone. It was a little rectangular piece of stone they had hollowed out in a little flat area. And this was not a place where you put kids. But they were so poor 
They had nowhere else to put them. So they wrapped them in cloth and they put them in the manger. They put them in, the, they put them in a feeding trough of animals. Man, that's how low Jesus was willing to go for us. Amazing. No other religion teaches this about their God. No other faith movement. This, this is what's so unique about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We believe that the Son of God who was eternally with God the Father in the past in absolute harmony and glory with God emptied himself and, and surrendered all that privilege and became a poor Nazarene child born to a poor family placed in a feeding trough for animals and he did that he did that so that you and I could get what he had we could have treasure with him in heaven the good news of the gospel is maybe 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 life isn't great here good news it's only act one. Is the second act coming? Maybe life is poor here. All right, good news. You got treasure waiting for you in heaven. So that means that you can be very liberal with what you got here because it's not really going to be here for long. And the best way to not lose what you have is to send it on ahead. Where Jesus says, thieves can't break in and steal and moth and rust cannot destroy. Because that's what Jesus did for you. And if you believe that, if you believe that God the Son gave up everything for you, then generosity, giving away what God has given you is a non-negotiable. That's what it means to truly know Jesus. Not about religious practice and going to church and genuflecting and kneeling and standing and sitting and kneeling and standing and standing. That's what, that's what people have added on to all this stuff. That's what people have put on. We gotta, here's what it means. It means I know that my God is good and generous. And so I'm good and generous because of him. And my neighbor is blessed because if the good news is good news for me, it should be good news for everybody who knows me.